Welcome back. It's part two of the Maximumian. Enjoy. What was the best musical you saw this year, Nicole? (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. We'll do this super fast. I mean, obviously, Sexy Oklahoma, but also I want to give a shout out to Rags Parkland uh, sings the songs of the future. Like, I couldn't decide between the two of them. They were both so amazing. I only saw two musicals this year. Mm -hmm. And my favorite was Rags Parkland Sings the Songs of the Future. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel good about seeing less musicals because I really love musicals a lot. I did not see that many musicals, but I will say Midnight at the Never Get was something new, fresh. I love the music, the sort of Cole Porter renditions that uh, Max was, Marks or Mark? Mark Sonnenblick. Mark Sonnenblick was uh, creating. He wrote the book, the lyrics, fantastic. And short, like 90 minutes, a short, nice, compact, beautiful memory play about gay life in the 60s and 70s. Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope at Encore's Off Center, uh, mostly forgotten, very important black musical from the 70s that I was really glad I got to experience. Sex Oklahoma. I was also going to say Rags Parkland, but I also want to tack on the Brobot Johnson experience because to me, the two of those shows really kind of go hand in hand. We're looking to the future. Everyone's thinking about the apocalypse a lot right now. Um, And it just, it played with that idea and the way music survives in the future in, in formats that sort of talk to each other that I really loved. I thought ev- literally everyone was going to say Sexy Oklahoma, so I decided to go with what I felt like was its spiritual cousin, which was also at Bard College this summer, which was uh, Leonard Bernstein's Peter Pan, directed Ooh, by Christopher Alden, yeah. starring Aaron Markey as Wendy, um, in that I feel like it was, it, it on its face looks like it's an experimental version, but it's actually the most faithful version of Peter Pan I've ever seen, which I also think is true of Daniel Fish's Oklahoma, so that, Peter Pan for me. I also found it very hard to choose, so I'm going to note uh, quickly. Um, Carmen at Classic Stage Company um, with Anika Noni Rose, that sexy dress and that beautiful voice. I mean, it was amazing. Um, and then also um, The Lucky Ones by the Bingsons, um, which I didn't, I didn't you know, expect it to like it that much, but I really loved it. The music was amazing. And also Adina Verson like, was a really standout character, me, um, character to me. Um, an actress. Amazing. All right. Uh, best play you saw this year. How about Oren? What the Constitution Means to Me. I hate to repeat, but that was mm. probably the best thing I saw. And I'm going to be brief because we're doing lightning round. But yay, everything, what people said before, I agree with. <laughs> I want to shout out Bump, which was an ensemble studio theater by Kiara Atti earlier this year. Uh, I was gonna also going to say What the Constitution, but your, p- other people already said it. I'm going to do two. Uh, Dance Nation by Claire Barron <laughs> and Slave Play by Jeremy O'Harris. Mm, come on. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I saw so many good plays like, in, a, in a good run this fall. <laughs> but, I, oh my God, Queens, Usual Girls, Dance Nation, Teenage Dick, so many. <laughs> Uh, I have two clear standouts for me, and that uh, first one is Passover by Internet Nwandu uh, at Lincoln Center uh, LCT3, and the second one was a play called The Chinese Lady by Lloyd Su, that directed by Ralph Pena, that was at Barrington this summer and had a very brief run uh, produced by Ma Yi at Theater Row. 
You've stolen all my Thunderjack. I loved Passover so much. Um, and honestly, I was sort of frustrated that it came out during the summer when I feel like it didn't get as much attention as it should. And of course, it is available on Amazon Prime to view um, for people at home who didn't get to see it, which I'm really glad because I think it was just the perfect combination of play and production together and so important. And there's also a snippet from Oklahoma in it, but it's not sexy. <laughs> it's not sexy. I had some trouble picking, but I've, I have top 12, but I've narrowed it down to four that I will say. <laughs> um, the two that I can't choose between for my best were Thunderbodies and Fairview, both at Soho Rep. And the two that are very close on their heels are Plano, Club Thumb, and uh, Dance Nation, Player Earth Horizons, with many others that I truly love, which I will post on my Twitter. I want a second Queens as well. Um, so I have narrowed down to two, um, and that's going to be Good Grief by Ngozi Anyawu. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce her name, but, I mean, that was so dynamic and magical, and it told the truth about black goddesses like me. Um, so that was really cool. <laughs> and then also um, The House That Will Not Stand by Marcus Gardley. Um, I usually cannot stand when um, there's a new version of a white show with the cast of color. Um, I'm like, please just make a new show. But this almost was. Um, he based it on the new, um, new Orleans, the people of color there and all of that history um and i thought the cast was amazing they worked well together uh so this kind of only applies to some folks uh your personal ambition for theater in 2018 and did you achieve it since i got jack's first jack uh your first goal was to see more shows with jose and then uh, to expand your personal definition of what theater is Jose got way too cool for me um, by the time I recorded. No, I was kidding. I, I didn't see any shows with Jose. I, I, which so, and he's not here at the table now. Jose, if you're listening, I love you. Let's see a play. Um, what was the second one? Uh, to expand your own <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm so sorry. You can say, to expand my what? Uh, Liz and Jack to go are over sitting consent. next to each other, and they just touched faces. <laughs> I believe... That's Thank you for narrating. Liz is having a moment. Uh, I, I believe it was to expand my definition of what theater was, which is a very esoteric, weird, broad thing to say, so I'm going to go ahead and say sure. Uh, ben, you're supposed to save more money. So I saved money because... Uh, here's uh, I'm going to be a statistics nerd again this year. So this year I saw 129 things uh, that were theater-esque. Um, last year I saw 172, so... I achieved my goal of being more discerning about the things that I see. However, I would consider it a partial success because uh, I also count every year the things that I love and the things that I despise. Mm. Last year, I loved 20% of the things that I saw. Um, this year, I loved 27% of the things oh, that I saw. Nice. However, last year, I despised 9% of the things I saw, and this year, I despised 25% oh. of the things I saw. So what I've learned is that by being more discerning, I am, in fact, just polarizing my experience because I'm seeing things that I'm going to really react to. Uh, yes, I did succeed with some unexpected results. Uh, mine was to revisit theater companies that I liked before and see how they evolved, and uh, I didn't. And the couple <laughs> that I that I did look up, unfortunately, have all gone away. Oh. So, <laughs> um, so. Uh. 
Uh, Penny Maria, yours was to be more selective in what you see, especially for new plays and playwrights of color. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, I will say I wanted to see more new playwrights of color, but I think I saw ones who I had heard of but may not have seen their work previously. So that, to me, um, was an accomplishment. Very nice. Oren, yours was to mesh the things you're doing theatrically, politically, and spiritually. Wow, that's vague. Yeah, it's a big ask. Yes, I did. I went on a month-long silent meditation retreat, my first in several years. I had three play productions, two in Chicago that were critics' picks, one in North Carolina that got a good review. Uh, and we have three plays coming up, January, February, March, in Dallas, Seattle, in Miami that I was writing this year, as well as two more commissions uh, that are, to me, spiritual, that are political about what's going on in the world, that are saying something, that are con- that is contemporary, and so I believe that is happening. I need to probably do more on the political end, um, but my art is more political and definitely more spiritual, so yay, 2018. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. I had a personal goal, even though I wasn't here for last year, so I just wanted to run through that really quickly. Um, I had sort of set out in 2018 to try to decenter whiteness in my theater going, which I sort of didn't do great with, um, but I did maybe better than I have in years past. So I saw about 25% of the work I saw was by artists of color, which I think is actually a step up for me, um, though not probably as much as I would have wanted. Um, and I did see over 50% of the work I saw was actually by underrepresented artists, if you include women, disabled artists, trans artists, artists of color. So, I mean, I think that is actually a big step up for me overall, too. So I'm hoping that I'm seeing sort of more work by different artists and being a more conscious about the choices that I'm making. Um, of course, I also see everything that comes to Broadway, so that's always going to ruin my numbers. Yeah, yeah <laughs> this is true. Um, regarding um, artists of color, I can be your mentor, <laughs> and you can be my mentee, so I'll keep you informed. <laughs> so what is everyone's personal ambition for theater in 2019? Um, So I want to build on what I accomplished this year um, and work toward not just trying to make sure I get a ticket, but trying to go with, you know, groups of people um, to really kind of help these theaters, I guess, um, who who can't get enough people of color actually to the shows. So to do my part in, you know, bringing um, that audience who the shows um, are intended to reach. I think for me, I am trying, because I'm now, I'm the managing editor of Exeunt NYC, which is a theater criticism website. I'm doing a lot more writing professionally. Um, I'm looking to work more with more underrepresented writers. Um, We have a a couple on our staff at Exeunt, um, but Jose and I have put out this list of uh, theater journalists and critics um, who we see are sort of underrepresented in the community, and we're trying to get that list sort of circulated more broadly and trying to get editors to hire people and just be conscious of the choices they're making when they are assigning work. I have a personal career goal, which is uh, within my talents, so this is, affects my goal. Um, I've been, as you may or may not know, I've been working in tech for the past two years um, as my day job. However, uh, within my talents is a job back in producing theater. And what that means for me is uh, I need to start taking more chances on things that are farther down the totem pole. I need to take chances on things that uh, are at small theaters that I barely know, by artists I barely know. Um, I need to be better at proactively finding shows um, that are very small in production because 
I need to start getting uh, in with earlier career artists and people I don't know and learning their work. So do I think that will probably increase the number of bad things I see? Yeah. Do I think that'll expose me to people who I really, really, really love? Yes. I will say something very esoteric that I'll look back on and, and, and say, explode the frame. There, there's a term I'll use. I want to explode the frame, whatever that means, for 2019. So I have a play going up in March called Cocaine Cowboys about the cocaine wars that I just finished yesterday that is nonlinear and it's sort of explosive frame through a police interrogation, a, a commission on Geechee Gullah culture in South Carolina, and another commission on Louis Armstrong, there's like nine, it's one guy, Louis Armstrong and the four ex-wives he had and the women in his life, and sort of using different formats and structures to find a way in on things. And as an audience member, explode the frame too. So that includes in talkbacks and how a discussion travels and flows outside of a theater space. So there, that's vague enough that I can say I accomplished it. <laughs> I think I need to stop chasing discount tickets, and instead of seeing three mediocre shows at a discount, see one great show for full price. Yeah, and, and I think I think mine's similar to yours, Nicole, in that because I'm an I'm an editor full time, I've been trying to be more um be more public with the fact that I can like I have this job and I have this platform and I am available to to you if you need me to if you need an editor to look to look over your writing because i'm realizing that in this shitty new media landscape where where people just put up unedited words cuz no one has time to edit people need younger writers need someone to look over their work and to tell them like what works and what doesn't and to push them and i know like my own writing has developed in the way that it has because I've always had someone, another pair of eyes to tell me when what I'm writing doesn't make sense. And so I want to be that person for people, especially young people of color, and I really need to be public about that because I feel like a lot of people assume that they can not get in touch with me, even though I'm on Twitter, <laughs> which I guess is another way of saying, DM me, people, <laughs> if you need someone to look at your work. I love it. So I spent the first half of this year planning a wedding which meant I didn't see a lot of theater and I had tickets to things and I canceled on them. And when I was there, I wasn't really there because I was thinking about everything else. And then, so I kind of fell out of seeing theater for a little bit because I just couldn't get myself into anything. And then when I started getting tickets to things again, it was always like, I'm going to go to this show tonight. <laughs> and I don't like that feeling. I got really burnt out. I stopped seeing anything for a while. And now I'm kind of slowly getting back into it. So minus to be present when I'm watching a show like actually be focused on what's going on and not keep extrapolating it out into everything else that I have shut out for 90 minutes to four hours um, to be here and just stay focused within the moment. I think I've lost that a little bit. Mine is actually similar to a lot of uh, the professional goals as already stated around the table. So I'm a dramaturg at the public theater and my job is to sort of scout, identify, and curate and support um, young uh, early or early career playwrights um, and I want to continue to be better at that the other thing that I would like to do is I would like to um, in some whatever way I can support highlight create a platform for um, underrepresented voices in dramaturgy 
Um, most of the people who do what I do for a living around the country are very white. Um, and I would like that to change. And I realize that I actually have a position where I can do that. So um, here I go. Mm, applaud for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with great promotion comes great responsibility. <laughs> but Ever- stand in your power. Use it the right way. <laughs> for the white. <laughs> oh, that's good. We haven't gotten enough. Really. It's, it's great. <laughs> and our final question today, what is your hope for the theater community in 2019? Who wants to, ta- who wants to take this one first? I'll start. Oh, Nicole, no, you go please ahead. go. You're on the mic. Okay, okay. This year, I think it's really been monumental in the number of shows um, uh, by artists of color featuring artists of color. And I didn't have to search out as hard um, as I normally have to um, because they were widely available. This was the first time um, that there was a fall season preview for black theater alone. Um, And I mean, I, I wasn't aware that that ever happened before. Um, So my hope for 2019 is that this isn't a trend just because, you know, Black Lives Matter is in the the news and because of the current political climate, but that this is the way that the arts world is heading. It is not just on trend, Um, but we're trying to be more inclusive overall. And um, not only shows like more shows with black people, but people of color in general, black people from the diaspora, like, you know, Bahamas, Jamaica, um, from even Asia, like, you can be black and still have a different culture or grow up in a different place. So let's get all of those stories in and just show humanity as a whole. Um, I think for me, my hope for the theater community in 2019 is maybe we could all work together to solve the criticism and crisis problem. I'm seeing a lot of artists giving up on criticism altogether for good reasons. You know, it has been white and Uh, singular in its sort of approach for way too long and maybe it's gone too long and everyone now has just sort of given up but I'd like to not give up and I'd like to see artists and critics, journalism, um, editors, everyone start working together to make it better rather than to just throw it all out altogether. I've been seeing theaters uh, return to normalcy is the way I wrote it down um, in producing more plays like the plays that Two Mile Hollow is satirizing. Um, And I think a lot of those are being produced in reaction to the political climate, which I think is very disappointing to me. The the quote-unquote political plays we're getting uh, are some of the least interesting ones, whereas some of the most interesting ones take that climate as a background for the creation of the art. Um, and I think that's true of Thunderbodies and Fair You and Plano and Dance Nation, which are my four favorite things of the year. And what I hope is that the people with the power to put things on stages start seeing that the most effective way to include politics within the art that they are putting out is in that manner rather than as a sort of heavy-handed hammer smashing down on the couch. There is good resistance art and there is bad resistance art. And I think that It is great that we are all woke or more woke now, but now we have to kick it up a notch to differentiating between art that takes the climate and transforms it or art that just regurgitates black pain, black suffering, black misery. And so the audience can go, yep, black people get shot by the cops. Like, to me, that's not good enough. That would have been good enough like 15, 20 years ago. Now that's an established fact. 
now that we can generally agree on the stats as well as what we see in life, it's about transforming that on another level so you're not just reiterating the tragedy of life. And I hope in 2019, uh, and I think we're starting to have the seeds of that grow and the buds of that grow, to see more and more art that takes that initial pain or frustration and goes beyond just complaining about Trump or complaining about this or that. I believe Trump you know, is probably on his way out of office sometime in 2019. And so once that's gone, whether it's 2019 or 2020, once he's gone, I don't want there to be a vacuum. There needs to be something there that's beyond just complaining about one guy because that guy was elected because 60 million people mm, decided on. to vote for him. So it's about those 60 million people who were so misinformed and I'm sorry, they are misinformed, who are so misinformed about what making America great again means that they're willing to vote for an outright racist, con artist, sycophantic, lying loser, a pathological psychopath that we now are facing the situation we are in this country and around this world. We have to go beyond him and look at, examine the causes that allowed someone so morally bankrupt, such a malignant cancer, of life and culture and politics to become in power and examine why that happened. Why did these people vote for him? And a lot of them voted for Obama eight years ago. So we can't just say all of them are racist. Something else had to happen. And I'm interested in art exploring that. All right now. All right. Hard to follow that. <laughs> so, I'm going to go to a totally can we different... inject that opinion into my veins? <laughs> So it's funny to say this on Maximo because Maximo was founded to help shine a spotlight on Theater Beyond Broadway and elevate Theater Beyond Broadway. And I feel like in the last year where Maximo has been mostly a memory, uh, I have felt that vacuum. And so my hope for the next year is to do what I can. And that I know it's not a personal goal, it's like a community goal, but like that the theatrical industry as a whole can remember that great work happens outside of Broadway, outside of mm -hmm. corporate controlled theater, outside of branded content. You know, it's I, I think about this not just in terms of New York, but you know, with uh now that we're in the end times of Tumblr, where so much of the, the theater discourse on Tumblr has been about oh, well, if we don't have bootlegs, then how do we have access to the theater? And it's like, well, there's all sorts of wonderful theater that has nothing to do with Broadway, whether that is local productions of shows you might have heard about on Broadway or things that have never touched Broadway, don't care about Broadway, have no Broadway ambition, don't, don't know Broadway's name, fuck Broadway. Um, and I love Broadway. But uh, there's so much great work out there. There's so many great artists out there. You don't have to leave your own neighborhood to see it. And uh, I just want the world to keep elevating that and pushing that. Cosign all the things that everyone <laughs> just said. Um, what I would like to see in a theater in 2019 are more diverse audiences. Mm -hmm. Because I am so sick of sitting in a house and being one or two the only the only one or the only one of like two person of color in the audience especially because as the work is becoming more diverse the audience is not 
following usually and i don't know if it's because these theaters aren't outreaching or if it's because it's expensive it could be any one of those things it's not expensive to reach people of color i'm sure they can even do it Uh, at a more affordable rate oh no 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 i mean tickets oh well and they can also find corporate sponsors yeah to offer subsidies which is something that i make sure to do um at my in my personal work so really there's no excuse Exactly. But you all have got to do something because there's so much great work being produced. And it's like I'm at Usual Girls by Ming Pfeiffer. And that space, they put the roundabout theater, put it in their underground space, which is what, like 100 seats? And not even. And it's sold out completely and got extended three times. And it's been playing for two months. And I, all the young Asian people I know, they can't get in. And that's a problem. Because who's in that house? Who The night I saw it, mostly old white people. Mm. And uh, lovely that you all want to go see the theater. But this is not... But the people who the show is about, they need to see it. They need the opportunity to see themselves on stage. And if they don't know that it's happening then, like, what is the point of programming all of this? Is, is, it just, is it just to, like, educate some white people about, like, how the other half live? It doesn't matter. I don't need old subscriber audiences to recognize my humanity. I need young people to mm-hmm. see themselves on stage so they want to do this for a living, so they want to keep this art form moving. Mm-hmm. So do something, people, <laughs> theater, artistic directors. Do something. Make it happen. If you have, if you are a theater, if you're an artistic director and you have an quote-unquote underground theater and you have quote-unquote the other one <laughs> reverse the programming i just fixed your audience retention yeah drop. Jeez. <laughs> or if it's extended for two months we can put it in the big space then yes what's it do? I, I don't well skeleton crew got extended at yeah. the smaller atlantic theater space and then mm-hmm. went on mm-hmm. yeah but, like, but you, didn't yeah. it move on because it's something else dropped out exactly. <laughs> yeah so, fantastic like artists of culture have to prove themselves in the 100 seat space in order to get to the big yeah. space it should yeah. have been in the big space, been yeah. space. Yeah. Yeah. considering what they were programming back then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so mine's kind of an echo of, of what uh, ben and Orin were talking about and i apologize because i was thinking about this this morning and i was like why does this sound like a weird thing to say um and then I realized it uh, on the walk over here, which is that I want to make theater fun again. And then I was like, oh, that's really bad phrasing, so I apologize. Um, but I feel like we're moving into these issue plays. So you've got to have a Me Too play. We've got to have a Black Lives Matter play. Let's just have a good play mm-hmm. that incorporates those things. Like, we don't, it doesn't need to be a, an issue put on stage. We know what the issues are. Don't assume your audience is dumb. Let that live in the background of just a good play that maybe involves that in some way and just like let it relax a little mm. bit. Mm. That's I don't know. Like it doesn't yeah. I don't need to go to the theater and feel like it's the news. Yeah. I need to go I want to go to the theater and see what's going on because of that news. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. That's probably why I enjoyed Good Grief. Um it yeah, was a break same. from all of the intense black theater that's been happening right because i feel like people think that a political story and a and a personal story are like two different things but like for most marginalized groups like they're intertwined Mm -hmm. and some days like Mm -hmm. the political the political like the harsh stuff is in the foreground and other days it's in the background and you're just living your life and yeah exactly we would like to just live our lives and that's not a revolutionary idea i mean the one of the things that's amazing about even someone like shakespeare is that there are no private relationships in shakespeare everything is public everything is is involved in a political moment or an idea or a larger truth and it's so it's like 
it's not hard. It's been done many times. Um, I uh, also co-sign everything um, and feel deeply, and I was actually going to start by saying something else, but I actually want to talk about money. Um, and by that I mean um, where money goes in theater, where it comes from, and what it does to the art. Um, at most major institutions, nonprofit institutions uh, in New York City, the amount of a uh, the amount of the theater's operating budget that actually goes into the pockets of artists who keep that theater alive are in the single or low double digits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is a travesty. That is disgusting. It is the worst quality of late stage capitalism. It has infected every theater that you love and every theater that you hate. Um, uh, capitalism, and um, <laughs> and that's and that's that's the time for the episode. And that also capitalism. that actually like in some ways has nothing to do with like what the actual artistic director is putting on the stage. That's just boilerplate. No matter what you put on the stage, um, there's been some great. Uh, uh, moments with uh, you know giving actors raises that um, the the new sort of equity guidelines that have been amazing but need to do more. We need to do the same thing for playwrights and designers and directors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it, it's not fair. The other thing is uh, the I want to talk about the commercial money in theater, uh, in nonprofit theater. It is it is still relatively new and people tend to uniformly agree that it is a positive thing. It subsidizes the cost of expensive wonderful shows. That's great. The problem I have with money in nonprofit theater is that most theater has now, at least in my eyes, become a very commercially transactional thing. Um, and I believe that has happened in spaces where the art never used to feel transactional or whose ideals are not to have transactional-based um, theater. And so I would like to... I don't know if I want corporate money to be out of theater. What I do want is transparency. I want to know who's supporting shows. I want to know who's giving money to theaters. Um, and I want to know what influence they have in programming decisions, in uh, in infrastructure decisions, and in staffing decisions, uh, because I think that a fish rots from the head, and a lot of places that is happening. So that's a very weird esoteric thing to say, but it's just like... The money in theater is becoming complete, and, and especially nonprofit theater is becoming completely out of control, and is creating these behemoths that have looked nothing like um, places where artists thrive. And by the way, even if you're trying to make a place with that money where artists thrive, none of that money is going to the artists, as I mentioned at the beginning of my rant. Uh, so uh, do better. <laughs> yeah, do be- do better. I be uh, best agree with that. And <laughs> oh be no! Best. Be best. Be best. <laughs> Bless her heart. On the on the well, on the administration um, side as well, I echo that. Um, this the same situation is happening uh, financially with all of the people who are working to actually support all of the artists. Um, so that's something that we need to make happen. Be best all around. <laughs> So uh, I hope everyone who was saying, where's Maximu, is now so sick of us. Um, uh, We'll be back with y'all next week. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. The Maximunion concludes next week with part three. 